Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. The rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, January 29th, 2010. Episode 153 comes to you from Studio B in beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe, and I'm back in the studio with the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Hey, Joe. It's good to be here. Good day, Cliff. Uh, we've got uh, environmental Annie Koalecki at the controls. Good afternoon. And uh, if we have major problems, we'll go f- hunt down the wingman somewhere. But I think uh, Annie's got it under control. Today's segments include the microband trivia question. My co-host is today's guest. Um, The title is Product Presumed Guilty, The Chemical is Making Me Sick. We will have a discussion with the Z-Man. At halftime, we'll bring in Dr. uh, Dr. Dietrich Wow to talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in his world and make some comments on the show. Then we'll go back to the interview with the Z-Man and we'll, of course, have the roundup. We've been updating, adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website every week after the show. Check it out at www.iaqradio.com. We've also been adding a lot to the resources link uh, at on the uh, website, so check that out as well. But before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts' insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right. To contact the show, you just call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. You can also go to the iaqradio.com website. And follow the link that says go to the show. Shows are archived. 
available at that iaqradio.com site or from iTunes. Don't forget, we've got ABIH, Certification Maintenance Points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, and ACAC Renewal Credits. Just email me and request a quiz. My email is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And those email addresses for Cliff and I are both on the iaqradio.com website. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right, today's guest. Oh, but before that, let's go to the microband trivia question. Okay. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to cliffz at prorestoreproducts.com. Congratulations to Andy Krasowski of Mars PA for answering last week's microband trivia question. He correctly identified X-ray fluorescence, or XRF, as the scientific device which can measure lead levels in dust and give immediate results. A nice prize will be going out to Andy. All I right. think actually it might have been a second question. I think he has one previously. All right. Okay, now for the trivia question for Friday, January 23rd, 2010. It's actually a quotation. Who was credited with the following quotation? The significant problems we face cannot be solved by the same level of thinking that created them. Ah, one of my favorites there, Cliff. I'm sure we've got some listeners that know that one. So text it in or uh, send it to Z-Man. Yeah. Z-Man at his email address. It's on the website. What is it again, Cliff? It's uh, CliffZ at ProRestoreProducts.com. CliffZ at ProRestore. All right, speaking of. Cliff Z. We've got uh, a little intro music for today's show. Uh, I understand it's uh, maybe uh, something having to do with Cliff? No, actually, no. it's chemicals. Uh, okay. Antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, Oh, my. <laughs> All right, well, that was <laughs> the whole uh, elemental chemical chart there. Interesting. I have to hear that again. I didn't, didn't realize that they were going through them all. All right, today's show, product presumed guilty. The chemical is making me sick, as most of our listeners know. Uh, and if you don't know, you know, Cliff uh, is well known as the founder of the uh, microban and unsmoke line of products. And uh, we're going to talk about this issue today. And the first thing I want to know, Cliff, is, you know, what prompted you to do this show? Why why a show on chemicals and they're making me sick? Well, I just want to go back a little bit. First of all, you know, we said product presumed guilty. The chemical is making me sick. And, you know, maybe it is. Okay. Maybe it's not. And I think what I'd like to do is think about uh, whether it is, whether it isn't. We're going to kind of go through the scenarios. The reason that I wanted to do a show on it is we provide tech support to applicators that have concerns over the products that they use. A significant 
part of our listening audience is in, comprised of indoor environmental professionals who may get calls to deal with some sort of uh, chemical incident or uh, alleged problem within a building where chemicals are causing someone a health issue. We also get many calls, not, not many, but we, we receive calls from consumers who describe an incident in which they were exposed to a product and which they allege is the source of a problem. And, and the one thing that we get over and over again in these situations is some sort of lingering smell. And there's this lingering smell. Oftentimes, they're the only ones that smell it. And the, this lingering smell is a distinct, prominent, and conspicuous cause of their health issues. Uh, the challenge for us is that not all the products we make are strongly fragranced. And on the products in which we receive the most complaints, uh, these may not have any fragrance at all or have little fragrance. Or, so. or maybe a fragrance that isn't designed to last very long. Correct. Okay. Correct. Right. And these are typically residual type. They, they assume this is a residual problem, I'm assuming. Correct. And, and sometimes, I mean, and we'll talk about it later, is one of the questions we ask in trying to get background is like, when did this occur? Okay. Uh, sometimes two years ago, last year, <laughs> sometimes a, a very, very extensive time period. So it seems to me this is a, a show where we're going to try and help the contractors that do this work, the indoor environmental professionals that oftentimes are pulled in because maybe they specified the use of the product or they're trying to help with the person's complaints. And, of course, consumers who have these. And I'd really like to focus on those consumers we because, um, you know, I think they really need this type of advice. So I'm glad we're doing it. All right. The first thing we've got to talk about, though, is do you feel multiple chemical sensitivity is a real condition? I believe the symptoms are very real. Uh, people can have all sorts of health symptoms. I also believe that there's a strong mental component. And we're all familiar with this power of positive thinking, and we need to be aware of the results and consequences of negative thinking. And again, we get these calls, they describe an incident, and they somehow allege the use of a product as the source of the problem. And again, the one thing that we get over and over is they get this unpleasant, lingering smell, which to them is very, very conspicuous. And to me, this is what seems to happen. The, our primary customer is a disaster restoration contractor. This is someone that deals with fires. This is someone who deals with floods, or we deal with professional cleaners. So typically, the situations in which our products are used may not be the best. There may be a fire. There may be a flood. Uh, something catastrophic occurred. So this is not daily cleaning. There's generally a catastrophic event. And I think one of the things that happens is there's an emotional component. You know, if your home caught on fire, uh, if you had a severe water loss, I think that you're going to be concerned. I think that you're going to be anxious. I think that you're going to be worried about finances, worried about health, and so on and so forth. And I think what happens is we have a negative state, a potential negative state, and we have some work that's going on within this house. We may have a product application, and all of this occurs simultaneously. At the same time. At the same time. Okay, so it's not, um, you're not saying that 
that there's a problem with the product, but there's a problem. You're dealing with a problem, and then there's a product that's used. Whether it's yours or somebody else's, it doesn't matter. I'm right. sure many people go through this. Yeah, correct. What happens is the products that we make and, and the remedial work that's done is the reaction to some sort of catastrophic event, which normally has occurred uh, in this home or, or in this building. All right. And, you know, going back to this power of positive thinking or negative thinking, I think we're born as either being pessimistic or we're born as being optimistic. And I think what happens is if someone has this negative emotional state, you know, some of the things that go along with anxiety are abnormal breathing patterns. People can hyperventilate. They can have a panic attack. And simultaneously, if they're are certain things going on. I mean, it could be light, it could be heat, it could be an odor. Uh, what happens is this is going to have some sort of impression okay. on them. And I think it's going to have a physical impression because people can feel physically discomfortable or comfortable. And I think it can have a mental impression right. uh, well, as well. Do you, do you think that client concerns over chemicals used on their premises is justified in, in general, I guess? I honestly don't think they are, Joe. I, I really don't. And, you know, one of the things that professional carpet cleaners do, they're using a pretty wide range of products for cleaning and for spotting in the customer's home. They never ask the customer for permission to use these cleaning products. You know, we had a maintenance company that services our building. They don't ask us for permission to use the products. You know, they choose what disinfectant, they choose what toilet bowl cleaner, uh, you know, that they're going to use. I think what's happened is that we live in a chemical world. Our bodies are made of chemicals. And I think the big challenge that I have is this word pesticide. You know, the antimicrobial products we use are classified as pesticides. And I think they got caught up into this. Uh, because when FIFRA was, was started, one of the Fs in FIFRA, uh, Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, <laughs> the fungicide that was used in, in the word FIFRA wasn't meant to be antimicrobial products that we use. They were fungicides that were used on crops. And I think the word pesticide is scary. And when you say pesticide to the customer, I think it conjures up in their mind uh, aerial spraying. They've got yeah. crop dusters. They're indiscriminately spewing out toxic materials that are poisoning the environment, the air, the water, uh, the soil, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And I think the products that we use for cleaning buildings uh, after water damage situations are dramatically different. And what I'd like to do is kind of just go off on a little tangent, okay. if, 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 if you'll let me. Go for it. One of the largest classes of products that we use today are known as quats. And what quats stands for is quaternary ammonium chloride. What these products are are synthetic detergents. And if you think about what Germany was like after World War II, there wasn't a whole lot left. I mean, we significantly devastated uh, the country. You know, we destroyed their industrial complex. We destroyed their military complex. And actually, we destroyed their agriculture complex as well. You know, prior to the end of World War II, most soaps that we used to cleanse our bodies, cleanse our buildings, were made of natural materials. They would get rendered fat, and they would convert it into soap. 
Germany, unfortunately, didn't have any of the resources to make soap, so they really pioneered the development of synthetic detergents. So what we know today is quaternary ammonium chlorides were actually designed as synthetic detergents. And one of the advantages that synthetic detergents have over natural soaps is they don't leave a soap scum. So the products that we use today for killing germs, these quats, that was, they weren't designed to kill germs. They were designed to remove soil. They were designed to clean. And one of the byproducts that came along with them was the fact that they were also pretty highly antimicrobial. Uh, and, you know, although we might get a waiver signed, uh, I, and I don't recommend doing that. Some people do recommend having a waiver signed. If you think about it, quats are also used in your home, and most people might not know that, the hair rinse that they use. Yeah, I'm curious, what other things are these quats in? Uh, hair rinse, very common, are going to contain quats. And one of the most common uses of them in the home is in laundry. Uh, they're utilized uh, for antistatic. Okay. Uh, protection. Like so the um, no clean fabric softeners. Fabric softeners. Fabric softeners. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So I mean, you have someone who's going to actually get a bag and take the uh, take out this piece of material that's impregnated with it. They're going to touch it in their hand, and they're going to put it in the uh, in the dryer and not really think anything of it. And we're telling the same person, and it's a, that same person is going to take a couple of cups of bleach and, and pour it in the laundry when they're cleaning their okay. whites. Which is another category of disinfectant, right? Absolutely. Okay. They, don't th they don't think anything of it. However, if we're going to use it for remediation, all of a sudden uh, it's a little bit uh, more controversial or more of a concern. Now, right. These are two categories, and I know we've, we've done a show previously. For those of you listening, go back and check out Cliff's show on the other categories. There's other categories of products, but I'm just curious, Cliff, um, you sell products with quats in them and uh, products with, uh, I guess, a phenolic yeah. compound yeah, in some it. Yeah, phenolic compounds. What's the most... What's the biggest, uh, most commonly used, I'd say, on disaster restoration, in your judgment? No, quats. The quats, okay. uh, by, by far. Okay. And, and, and also commonly used, most household disinfectants would probably be quat-based. All right. Yeah. Let's get they're, they're, they're safe, they're cheap, and the primary reason that they use quats is they're very good cleaners. They're inherently good cleaning products. All right. Now, let's get into the typical complaint scenario. Can you describe for us what the typical, you know, I... I sit here with you every week in the uh, in the studio, and by the time we're done, you have a list of calls. Now, not all of them are going to be about you know a, a chemical concern that people have, but you have a list of calls, and some of them are, uh, on occasion, these types of complaint scenarios. Can you describe a typical one, and then how you handle it? You know, one of the the, the common ones that we get relates with duct cleaning and some sort of chemical treatment. It could be coil cleaning. It can be uh, the application of a sanitizer. It can be the application of an odor control product. And one of the things that always bothered me about these situations is that the same products are also used on, oftentimes on the same product to deal and service all the other materials that are under roof. They'll use it on the walls. They'll use it on the floors. They'll use it on the desks. Uh, they use it on a wide range of surfaces, but the only time that we get the complaint is when it somehow has something to do with duct cleaning. So I got to thinking about duct cleaning, and we, I personally have had a lot of experience doing it. You know, we had a duct cleaning company. Uh, we sold duct cleaning equipment. 
uh, we actually taught a course in, in duct cleaning, a hands-on course actually in how to do it. And I think one of the things with duct cleaning is that um, I'm not sure that cleaning's the right word when we say duct cleaning because it's almost like duct vacuuming when you really think about it. You yeah, know, exactly. I think there's a difference between carpet cleaning and carpet vacuuming. And I think cleaning oftentimes involves soap and water and oftentimes it's going to leave little or no residue. But oftentimes with duct cleaning, there can be a fair amount of residue left behind. And I think the challenge that we get is the customer sees people come into our house, they see a truck, they see different equipment, it's all set up. And what they don't see is any invisible particulate that could have escaped from the ductwork. If the cleaners are not having good negative pressure, if they're not careful, sometimes when they take the registers off, you know, there can be all sorts of particulate. And all even even in the best of situations, uh, I believe many or several studies have showed the particulate level will go up after right. an HVAC system's cleaning. I don't think many people will argue that. And I think that there's a cause. And one of the things that happens in these situations that we get that are in a house, you know, environmental illness can be caused by a number of things. One is chemical emissions. We know that formaldehyde and other types of chemicals are known to cause people to have issues. So is particulate. Particulate. Absolutely and also sort of biologicals. And the big challenge that we get with these situations, oftentimes when the customer makes their own diagnosis, this is the chemical, that's what's making me sick, and you know, we're gonna chat more about it as, as, as we go further through. Okay, so that's just a typical, one typical scenario, and I'm sure you have others where people have called about whatever, uh, somebody's fogged something, or whatever the case may be, but you're saying the most common is, after HVAC cleaning or duct cleaning? Yeah, typically duct cleaning and sanitizing is the most common call okay. uh, that, that we get. Okay, and these products are approved for use in this yes, application that, yeah. typically? I mean, well, I'm, yeah, but and, and, and I think those are some of the things that we need to develop in terms of background. We let know, me, change, we'll my, let me change my terminology, registered. I, okay. I have to be careful. All right, let's move on. What tips do you have for indoor environmental professionals who are now interacting with these individuals that uh, claim to be or may be, as you said before, chemically sensitized? Well, I think, first of all, I want to establish ground rules for communication. And I, I tell them that I agree to be respectful to them. I want them to be respectful to me. I don't plan on raising my voice. You know, I really don't want them to yell at me. The most important thing that I try to do is I agree to listen to them. And I'm going to say I want to listen to the whole story. You know, if you want to vent, please vent. If you're upset, I'm going to listen to your entire story. In return, I just want you to listen to my entire story. So, you know, I'm kind of looking for equal time. I also want to get involved with the applicator, not necessarily on a conference call with the customer, but I want to find out who applied the product and get their side of the story because oftentimes they are dramatically different. It's like two different people seeing a same auto accident. You know, yeah. it's dramatically different. So you want to know, for instance, how the product was applied, uh, what form, et cetera. I yeah, guess. I'm going to want to talk to the applicator. Now, I, well, some of the people that we talk to are very needy, are very fragile, and are very emotionally excitable. And so I think we need to be very, very careful. And what I'm trying to do is gain their trust. And, I mean, I, 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 you know, I tell them that 
I, I think time is a big issue. A lot of times they're concerned that somehow I'm going to cut them off. And I tell them, I've got plenty of time. You know, I've got a fresh cup of coffee here on my desk. Just tell me what you want to tell me. Okay. And I think that that goes pretty far in terms of building trust and, and building uh, rapport with them. The next thing I want to do is I want to determine the form in which the product was, was applied. Uh, it, was this product in a solid form? Was it in a liquid form? Was it in a droplet form? Was it in a vapor form? And this is going to come in uh, handy uh, a little bit later. Okay. All right. So now let's. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the tips for IEPs interacting with the client. What information is important to obtain from these people who call you? I mean, what do you, what, what's a list of questions, or what would your suggested scenario be for responding to these calls? Well, what I want to do is I, I want to know what were the circumstances under which the product was used? Did the house suffer a fire? Was there a flood? Was there animal contamination? Is this a mold remediation product? Is something going on in the crawl space? Why were these, what were the circumstances under which the product was used? You know, we get some pretty strange situations. You know, we, we've had people that, you know, I had one case actually in California, and th this woman lived in a home, and she was convinced that one of our odor control products was the cause. Now, the applicator couldn't remember which one of two products he used. I'm not sure whether we used product A or whether we used product B. Mm. And in doing discussion with her, we happened to find out that her house was in the midst of forest fires. So there were literally forest fires 360 degrees around this particular house. And somehow our product uh, was causing health effects. Okay. And now the guy can't remember which one of two products that he uses. You know, the woman wants to know the ingredients in both of them. They want to know all the ingredients. And, uh, you know, for us, that ends up being a challenge. Uh, number one, we have um, intellectual property issues mm -hmm. in terms of, of those formulations. And the second thing is I don't believe that homeowners are generally qualified to do an investigation of what's causing their problem. And I think also they sometimes get emotionally involved in it. And when emotionally, when they've made up their mind, they emotionally buy into this. And then I think, unfortunately, sometimes it's a very, very difficult to, you know, to change it after that. All right. So you want to know why and under what circumstances the product was used. Um, what else are you looking for there? Well, I think I also want to determine what other, what other, what other things they need to think about as potential triggers. You know, for instance, if the house is in the middle of. Uh, forest fires, and there's all sort of particulate on the outside of the house and the inside of the house. They need to think about particulate. So you try and make them aware of what other, maybe there's some other potential cause for your issue. Correct. What I what I try to do is I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I want to rule chemicals out. I just want to add a couple things to the mix. And you'll see when we start getting into remediation suggestions, we're going to use a three-pronged approach to remediation. One will deal with biologicals, one will deal with particulate, and then one will deal with chemicals. Because I, I can't, you know, from long distance, I can't diagnose it. And I think even if I had the opportunity to go in the building, I'm not sure that I could diagnose it. Okay. Now, what, what type of... Um discussion tools have proven useful for you um, or to you for dealing with people claiming to be, you know, 
responding to a product that was used in their home or chemically sensitized, however, you, whatever terminology you want to use. Well, there's, there's a, a technique that we use called feel, felt, found. And what we do is I'll tell the customer, I understand how you feel. I then acknowledge that other people have felt the same way. And after working through the process with me, this is what they found out. So it's feel, other people, you know, so felt, and then found. And then what I try to do is advise them that these indoor environmental illnesses generally are caused by one or more of three possibilities, you know, chemical or chemical emissions, particulate, and biological. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, what about background issues? Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this, but was there anything you wanted to add with respect to, you know? Sure, sure. Go well, ahead. number one, I want to determine that the product that was used was appropriate for that particular application. And I'm, a lot of times I'm not going to tell the consumer it wasn't appropriate. I will tell the applicator that it wasn't appropriate. Sure. Um, I want to determine that the application method was appropriate. I want to determine what other products were used. You know, because oftentimes multiple products are used in these situations. Okay. I'm not trying to share the blame. I'm just trying to get to the answer. Okay. Okay. Uh, I want to determine um, how it was applied. I want to determine the rate at which it was applied. I want to determine how the product was prepared for application. Because some products are supposed to be applied in, a, in their ready-to-use state. And in certain situations, people add things to them, and they, they play chemist. Uh, and they really shouldn't. Uh, they really shouldn't do that. So I guess it's important for the contractors that are talking to you about the issue too to be upfront with you about it. You're not looking to, um, you know, run them out of business for using your product the wrong way. You're trying to help solve the problem here. And, oh no, absolutely. I'm, okay. I'm trying to help solve the problem and help them work through it. You know, generally it's not our policy as a company to point fingers at the contract. I understand. I mean, and, and contractors make mistakes. And so the bottom line is you're trying to figure out if there was possibly a mistake. And then you have, I guess, uh, and we'll talk about that, ways that you can help remedy those issues. Correct. All right. Do you have any remedial strategies for odor complaints attributed to products which have proven successful for you? Oh, yeah. There, there, there are a lot of them. In certain situations, it might be very easy to remove uh, the offensive product. Uh, you know, for instance, it might be an odor control treatment that's made, uh, you know, in a solid or granular form to the air handling system. And, you know, if you put it in, you can take it out. So in certain situations, these products can be swept up and can be, uh, can be removed. Ventilation is always good. Uh, we, we generally uh, suggest ventilation. Uh, I like to also do what we call dilution with a slight negative pressure. And this is, this is pretty simple. A lot of times if we have windows that, that move up and down, uh, I'll advise taking a piece of little plywood, maybe four to six inches high, that'll fit across the bottom of that window opening. A lot of times I'll put a small, what we call a muffin fan. It's like a computer fan, mm -hmm. maybe 50 to 100 CFM, and, and I'll plug it in. And it, what it'll do is put that area under slight negative pressure and it's just going to provide constant dilution of what's in there it's going to draw uh, fresh air in you know it's going to uh, you know exhaust that air out that's worked uh, 
works well for us. Okay. Then some subtractive processes. There are a number of materials. Uh, activated car carbon or activated charcoal is one. There's another one called molecular sieve. There's another one which involves uh, an activated alumina that's impregnated with potassium permanganate. It's very good in dealing with formaldehyde emissions. And you're not adding these products to the home. You're placing them there to absorb materials or to absorb chemical off-gassing, and then you're pulling them back out of the home. Correct. So what's going to happen is is we'll put them in oftentimes in trays. So a lot of times I'll just suggest to the customer, you go down to the hardware store, you know, you can buy for five or six dollars a pound activated carbon. You can put it in trays in those areas. And one of the things I'll do with the activated carbon that's worked very well for me is I like to have someone in the house do a little experiment. And what I want them to do is get a very odorous substance. It can be gasoline. It can be perfume. It can be something that's highly, highly odorous. And what I'll do is say, take a a shot glass, let's say, that holds, you know, maybe an ounce of activated carbon. Take the most nasty-smelling material that you have in your house. That could be gasoline, turpentine, perfume. Put a drop of it on that activated carbon, mix it around, and then smell it about 30 seconds to a minute later, and it should be odorless. So what we're going to do is demonstrate for them the ability of activated carbon to grab something in pretty high quantity and completely tie it up and adsorb it prior to using that process in their house. So mentally, I get them in a state where they're prepared for this to work because optimistically, they've seen a demonstration. So it's not just, I'm saying it's going to work. They can physically uh, experience that. Sounds like a great tip. All right, what's next on your list of okay. um, methods for uh, remedial strategies? I like to improve filtration to deal with particulates. So a lot of times, I'll uh, suggest that they upgrade the filtration in the home using some sort of I like the 3M filter, works quite quite well. In certain situations, I'll tell them how they can make their own uh, portable air scrubber. You know, they can take a, a box fan, and it just so happens that 3M and other filter manufacturers make a nice filter that's about the same size as the box fan. You can just tape it on with some duct tape, and, you know, you need to set it in the proper direction so that it's drawing... Uh, drawing through, but that seems to work quite well as, as well. That's a great tip, too, because, uh, you know, overdoing it with um, increasing filtration on the HVAC system, the furnace in, in particular, or the air conditioning, could cause you problems with the um, with the system. It may not be uh, sized properly to pull air through that type of filter. So that's a great tip. I like that. A lot of times I'll tell them to upgrade their filter bag on their vacuum cleaner if they don't have a high, uh, you know, high, high efficient vacuum. And I like to vacuum, particularly if it's a particulate. Uh, we want to vacuum horizontal surfaces. I want to vacuum carpet. I'd like to vacuum uh, upholstered furniture. Okay. Uh, that, that works quite well. Great. And preferably with a high efficiency vacuum of some type. Correct. All right. Another process that's worked well for us is what we call a bake-out. Uh, in certain situations where, you know, when we start leaning towards some sort of chemical emission uh, in that environment, what I like to do is heat up the inside of the house, get that house 90, 90, you know, seal it up, heat it up 90, 95 degrees, maintain it at that temperature for maybe four hours or so, open the windows, exhaust, ventilate, and then go through that procedure three or four times, this bake-out procedure uh, works really, really well on getting, you know, the heat 
tends to get chemicals to emit to go into the air, and then we can uh, exhaust them out. Okay. Any others? Yeah. Another technique that I like, I call it desorption. And what desorption is, Joe, is where we take uh, an alcohol and water solution. And I can spray this on clothing. I can spray it on fabrics. I've actually sprayed it on structural materials. And we're using both. We're generally using a combination of water and either isopropyl alcohol or denatured alcohol. I probably go about uh, 40%, 30 to 40% alcohol, the balance being water. And what I'm trying to do is desorb from the surface. If that surface was capable of picking up uh, of adsorbing uh, an odor or adsorbing uh, a material, what I'm trying to do is desorb it. So as the water comes off and the alcohol comes off, I can exhaust it. Okay. And, and that's proven quite effective as well, particularly in even in mold situations where people had... Um, like a leftover musty odor or something like well, not, that? Not only left, left, leftover musty odors, but, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, mycotoxins and, and things like that, uh, where they were having issues with, uh, wh which I suspect would be some sort of mycotoxin or mold-related uh, byproduct that somehow was hung up in their clothing, we were able to either denature it or desorb it, you know, using that process. Interesting. Okay, Cliff, I think what we need to do here is, uh, we're past halftime, but I'd like to get Dr. Dieter in. And, of course, we've got to thank our sponsors again. So let's – and, by the way, we do see a couple text questions. I will definitely get to those in just a minute. Um, but before we do, let's thank our sponsors, and then let's bring Dr. Dieter in for halftime. We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary group dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at IAQA.org. Now, and thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. ProRestore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products and equipment remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at ProRestoreProducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryze Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryze is first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn more at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Good day, Dieter. Are you with us? I certainly am, and I listened uh, and, uh, attentively. All right. What, any and, comments, uh, questions, Dr. Dieter? Uh, no, I don't have any questions, really, but I have comments. And Cliff, the Z-man, made a couple of uh, uh, excellent comments. You know, I'm, I'm doing this indoor stuff for the last, whatever, 40 years, and uh, Cliff has been, uh, has been doing that for years and years. 
And I run into the same problems that he ran into. Yeah, first of all, yeah, uh, 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 people say, you know, I have these bugs in my house and somebody do something about it. And the next day they say, that guy sprayed something nasty in my house. <laughs> and um, then mass hysteria in that house. They said, oh, yeah, I'm coughing and I have a runny nose and uh, I smell something and there's something wrong over here. And I have run across that many, many, many times. And I have seen the other mass hysteria thing. Oh, my God. They sprayed a pesticide in that. I'm, I'm thinking of a bank in Philadelphia in which I worked 20 years ago. I don't even know the name of it, fortunately. And there were about 25 women in that bank. And all of a sudden, they all had symptoms. And non-undefined symptoms. I feel a little bit tired. Uh, I have a little bit of a headache. I don't feel I, I, all the things you can't measure. There wasn't there wasn't one who was overexposed. And on yeah, on the other hand, if it, I'm the last one to say to spray a pesticide, a biocide into a va uh, ventilation system, and I know Cliff doesn't do that. In fact, he strongly advised against it uh, 20 minutes ago. And um, uh, if that has been done, all of a sudden, there is again mass hysteria. And the same time, those same people who are complaining about these wonderful uh, dimethylbenzene ammonium chloride dihydrate, that is the stuff that is in, in, in many of these household cleaners. What did I just buy? 409, 407, something like this. Fantastic <laughs> has it in it. A lot of Clorox products. Have it. They use it on their babies and so on. The, and fortunately, fortunately, it is used in all bars and restaurants to sanitize the glasses and dishes. The girls and boys sprayed on the tables when they clean the tables. There it is wonderful. The minute you use it in the house, oh, there's something wrong. The guy is poisoning me. And I don't, I, I, I think this, this has something to do with education, that people just don't realize how many of these biocides, pesticides we are using at home, and when we apply them ourselves, Absolutely nothing happens. If Joe Blow comes in the house and applies it, <laughs> yeah, I can't breathe anymore. It's the same damn thing. And that is what I'm working with um, uh, quite frequently. And um, uh, uh, Cliff uh, uh, alerted to that too. So that is a problem where people just think they know better. And I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, anything that goes wrong in that house, they blame on a pesticide or, a, for that matter, a biocide. Uh, Dieter, am I I'm, am I correct in saying that you know both you and Cliff? I don't think either one of you are um, saying that you know we shouldn't be trying to um, maybe use these products in a more intelligent more educated manner and maybe even use less and in some cases they may not be necessary at all i mean is that or, or, is that accurate well, 
Uh, well, yeah, in a way, in the old days, I once, I once happened to have, unfortunately, it is empty now, I happened to have a quart bottle of concentrated Durstban, uh, which has a very, uh, it's made by Dow Chemical, they don't make it anymore. For every bottle they made, they got 10 lawsuits on them. And I use that, I know what I'm doing, and I know how, and I know that there is a difference between a 0.5% solution and a 5% solution. Yeah, that damn decimal place, yeah, bothers a lot of people. And I know how to apply it, and I used it very nicely. I didn't have any spiders. I, I did it around the baseboards and so on. I didn't have any ants in my house. I didn't have any silverfish in my bathrooms, which I have right now, and I'm trying to get rid of them. And um, uh, in other words, if 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 they are uh, they are useful, there is no question about it. And you got to know what you're doing. You got to apply them correctly. But I, you know, I worked on uh, uh, one job in the Virgin Islands where some idiot sprayed something, we don't know what, into the ventilation system, uh, and everybody walked out of there uh, with irritated skin, eye, nose, and uh, uh, throat irritation, rashes on their skin, and they blamed it on, uh, on uh, molds, and I never heard of molds doing that. And, of, and I was there, and I measured for mold. <laughs> There's nothing to write home about. It's a, completely normal. There are as many molds in that office building as there are in my kitchen, my bedroom, my bathroom, and my living room. And it had nothing to do with this, but it had something to do with some idiot spraying something uh, in the ventilation system to clean it. And that's not, you know that, and Cliff knows that, and I know that. That's not how you clean a ventilation system. All right. Well, Dieter, we're going to move on, and we'll bring you back for the okay, uh, roundup. All right. Well, thanks for your comments, as always. And um, listeners, we've got, by the way, I, I want to mention to you while you're all on the line, we are going to do a show next week on integrated pest management. We've got a couple people coming in from the Pittsburgh School District here. And actually, I think they're going to come into the studio, um, and they've got, according to the people I've talked to, one of the best integrated pest management programs in the country. And um, part of the part of the uh, intent is to use the products. You still use pesticides. They're not gone, but you use them intelligently. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here today. Well, Cliff? one thing I'd like to just comment that I, I think needs to be said, that the fact that someone coming into your house wearing Tyvek uh, is using a product doesn't mean that it's any more hazardous than what you have under your kitchen sink, what you have in your laundry room, what you have in your garage, and what you have in your work shed. As a matter of fact, in most situations, the products that are being used for remediation and even cleaning up fire and smoke damage are very similar uh, to household cleaning products. And oftentimes the ingredients used to make these, I mean, I can speak you know, with authority on ours. You know, Most of the ingredients that are in our products are uh, FDA uh, listed as um, 
is grass, generally regarded as safe. So these are cosmetic and food grade. Grass, generally? Uh, G-R-A-S, generally regarded as safe by the Food and Drug Administration. That means that it's safe for use in foods and safe for use in cosmetics. So we, particularly, all the fragrance materials fit that criteria. And uh, there's another group called RIFM, R-I-F-M, Research Institute for Fragrance and Flavor Materials. And again, we want to be sure that all the fragrances that we use comply. And uh, so typically these things are going to, have a good degree of safety. I think what's different is because they're paying for the service and the results generally are good because I think these are there's a certain amount of talent and skill that goes into knowing how to use these products. Uh, they're pretty much the same. Now, you mentioned fragrances, and I've seen a couple of good um, text questions, and I know you wanted to comment on a couple. So listeners, hang in there right now. We're going to go back and take a look at a couple of these text questions that came in. Cliff, sure. I know one that caught my attention was um, about using fragrances or deodorizers, I guess it was, in HVAC systems. Where'd that go? Um uh, I can't find it now. We got well, you guys the, are cooking the, along here. The, Go the, ahead. Um, in in terms of that, you know, in certain situations, I think we have to. There's some fire situations where we end up needing to deodorize the system. And one thing that's important for people to realize is whether the system has insulated ductwork or not. Uh, typically, the uh, air handling units uh, and and the space where where they're at are going to have insulation for sound deadening purposes. So. Cleaning is really important. You have to think about that insulation. You have to think about cleaning the components. But there's certain situations where the system does need to be deodorized primarily from a smoke damage situation. And what type of deodorization are you talking about? Is well, this... what I'm going to suggest is that, you know, we use a football analogy. When you throw a pass in football, three things can happen, two of which are bad. Okay. So when you deodorize an air handling system, three things can happen, two of which are bad. And the two bad things are we can either over-deodorize it or we can under-deodorize it. And once we've fogged an air handling system, we might not be able to recover it. So typically what I like to do is use either a granular, solid, or a gel-type odor control product, place it into the air handling unit, allow it to do its work, and then we can remove it at the end. But the, the gotcha. last, we're just not going to put it someplace where we can't recover it. Gotcha. So I, I like to uh, specifically use it within the air handling So units. you're doing a lot of absor- adsorption? Yeah, you can thing? use activated carbon or you can use products that are going to come off as a vapor, but they're just not going to be in liquid so they would puddle or somehow get caught or remain within the system. Okay. Were there any others up here that you wanted to touch on real quick? Well, I think that, you know, as far as Febreze, I mean, it's a pretty successful product. Uh, they probably sell more of that one product than, than our whole company sells an annual sales model <laughs> volume. I, I think if you look at the patents, I think there's some kind of interesting technology there. It works with starches and, you know, has the ability to kind of lock down some odors. Uh, you know, it contains ethyl, ethanol, but, you know, so does vodka and beer uh, and, uh, I guess, hydrogen chloride or, or some type of salt. So, again, um, typically I'm not really concerned about household products uh, and, and odor control. Either you like these things or you don't. I think it's an individual decision that you can make for your own house and your own workspace. If you like them, go ahead and use them. If you don't like them, don't. Uh, I'm probably more concerned about things that burn, such as candles, than I would be over something like uh, Febreze. Okay. And I noticed the comment on um, 
homes that are over-insulated causing a lot of indoor problems. And, uh, you know, I've, that's something I've been trying to spread, you know, shed some light on here lately with the energy efficiency that's going on. We're going to see more of these odor complaints, I think, uh, as time oh, yeah. goes and, on. And, and I think when we spoke with, um, you know, with the, the, um, our guest uh, last week. And Patrick we, McRoy. And, you know, we, we dealt about uh, formaldehyde emissions and things like that and yep. cabinets and adhesives and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, you know, you can, that, that's, I mean, if you have those things in the air and they're irritating you, you may not smell them. You know, you might smell the air freshener, and then you somehow think that the air freshener is causing the symptoms that really might be caused by a formaldehyde emission or something like that. What is galloping contamination, Cliff? I'm not sure what else to call it, Joe, but, you know, we get these situations where uh, someone may move out of their house uh, because there's some sort of irritation. And this is when the the irritation follows them. Uh, They'll tell us that, um, you know, it's in their suitcase. They'll tell us it's on their clothes. They'll tell us it's in their car. And, um, and, and I think it's difficult to really get my arms around it. And again, we've used some of those same techniques in order to deal with it. Like if it's in their clothing, I'll sometimes tell them, you know, why don't you try a, a heat treatment to your clothing? Get a couple of um, pillowcases, put your clothing in the pillowcases, uh, put them in the dryer, run it on, you know, warm heat mm-hmm. and tr- you know, try to get it to off gas. Uh, I've done the same thing with adsorption. Uh, you can take uh, a plastic bag and you can put, you know, whatever item you're trying to adsorb from within that plastic bag and, you know, we can uh, expose it to activated carbon. I've done the same thing with, um, you know, the approach of using the desorption with the alcohol and water and okay. and it, it's work, it works most of the time. Do you think there's some commonality between the... Um yeah, emotionally unstable and odor complaints. Uh, that uh, that's a tough question for me to ask, but go for it. And well, uh, this is according to one of our previous guests, Dr. Rachel Hurst, and really one. And uh, until I read her book, it really didn't trigger. And this is what she says: "Quote: People with emotionally unstable personalities, sometimes called neurotic, tend to be more sensitive to noise, pain." unpleasant scenes, and bitter tastes than emotionally stable people. These emotionally excitable types are also more responsive and sensitive to odors. And again, I kind of look at it as more fragile, I think. Um, Okay. All right. How about, uh, oh, here's a good one. Okay. Listeners, hang in there. What role, if any, does ozone have in helping get rid of some of these odors, I guess, Cliff? You know, Ozone is just terribly mismarketed. You know, it's sold as a high, it's, well, first of all, it's a highly reactive oxidizing substance. It's almost sold as a hunting dog that you're going to let loose, you know, within the building and somehow it's going to seek out and destroy the malodors. You know, ozone doesn't have a brain. And what it does have in common is with, with uh, uh, an unneutered male hunting dog is it's going to react with the first thing that it comes into contact with. And that's any material w- with which it can react. And these reactions are unpredictable. And ozone can react with background chemicals. It can form aldehydes such as formaldehyde and other aldehydes which happen to have 
sweet smells. And I'm very, very suspicious, and this is a common denominator in a lot of these cases that we have with these residual odors or residual irritants being in these buildings for long times, is that ozone was used as part of the remediation What's process. A clue, what type of clue would you look for if, if you thought ozone had been used? What type of uh, I'll ask, odor? Oh, I'll ask them. Okay, okay, a lot of times it'll be sweet. It's just you know, long time lingering. These are the situations where it's there six months later, a year later, two years later, okay. et cetera. Generally, I think that there's an ozone type reaction. Sure. And and for those of you out there that are remediators and have an ozone room, you know, you're taught that ozone's going to dissipate 15 minutes after you shut the machine off. And my question to you is, why does your ozone room smell even when the machine's not on? And those are just situations where ozone has reacted with background chemicals you know, that are in that room. Okay. Um, is the material safety data sheet a good source of information for building occupants? I don't think so. Material safety data sheets are for workers. They're not designed for building occupants. You know, they're designed for people that are using these products on, on a constant basis. And certainly for antimicrobial products, the product label is the best source of information, not the material safety data sheet. Okay. So the the, uh, the priority document would be the product label. All right. And uh, let's, let's talk real quick about some of the stranger cases you've encountered. I mean, I'm sure you get some pretty interesting ones. Uh, any that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, sure. Uh, we had one where uh, a woman... Uh, sprayed her cat with a concentrated cleaner disinfectant in an attempt to kill fleas. Uh, Dieter had mentioned one that, that we get a couple times a year, and it's people claiming to be bitten by invisible insects. And, you know, how can we help them uh, with that? Uh, we had actually a woman uh, who claimed exposure to our deodorizing product caused her bird's feathers to fall out, her dog to develop boils, turned the fish in her aquarium into nitrogenous ooze, and she feared that her children would be turned into no-sex mutants. Hmm. I mean, a la the letter that she sent to the Consumer Product Safety Commission read like a Stephen King novel. Interesting. Did you suspect ozone in that one, maybe? Uh, yes, I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the nitrogen... Nitrogenous, Nitrogenous ooze kind of got my uh, attention there. Um, all right. Is it important? Who does the sleuthing or the investigation, and, and who makes the diagnosis when these issues come up? I mean, what do you recommend? Well, I, I think if the occupant really wants to get well, that number one, they be open-minded, and number two, they trust the diagnosis to a professional. And occupants need to consider all possible causes for their symptoms. And the one thing that, well, it's generally difficult, if not impossible, for us to help building occupants who become emotionally invested in and get caught up in trying to do the research and getting everything to fit with their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very wary uh, in, in dealing with those people, you know. It's a tough situation, though. I mean, they are, they're looking for a cause. They think they've, obviously think they've found what the cause is. Now they're trying to confirm and maybe discussing with them other approaches to scientific um, inquiry would be helpful. Oh, absolutely, because uh, what they're looking to do is I've got a headache. It's set on the material safety data sheet of the product or one of the 
ingredients that's used in the product that it could cause headaches and bingo therefore that's what's causing my headache and oftentimes if they make the wrong diagnosis they're going to get the wrong treatment and they're not going to get better Joe so the key is if they're open-minded and approach us from that three-pronged strategy approach it from particulate approach it from chemical emission approach it by biological chances are we're going to be able to resolve uh, that situation all right, we're coming close to the end here, Andy. Let's go to the roundup. We'll bring Dr. Dieter back on. I've got a final question for Cliff, and if any listeners have any, uh, shoot them in to us. Let's go back around the loop here. Dr. Dieter, wow. What do you got, Dieter? Yeah, I think Cliff made a little bit earlier an an excellent comment. And um, I must admit that years ago, I didn't read the labels. It's small print. And I said, hey, man, I'm smart enough. I know how that uh, stuff works and all of that. And... Uh, uh, I know how much money Cliff has spent on developing those labels. And the material safety data sheet is actually written by lawyers for lawyers. And once in a while, a worker understands it. And I don't know how often I said it in my uh, in my life, but, uh, and Joe knows it, and uh, Cliff knows it. Uh, the, somewhere at the very beginning of the label, it says, it's, that's boilerplate. It is a violation of federal law to use this product inconsistent with its labeling. And maybe we should write that in a little bit bigger letters. And I said, damn it, read the label, and it will tell you how to use this material safely. And there's one step more to that label. Actually, the... uh, yeah, if you are misusing it, it is a federal law. Now, how does that come about? Because the EPA, the United States government, has approved that label. That is one of the things that they are doing. It has been approved. So if you screw around with it, you are guilty. <laughs> there you is go. no question about it. There you go, Dieter. Any other quick comments before we roll on? Uh, no. You know, one quick comment. Uh, I know that you know your website, and you read it and said, oh, you can get me at my website, which is blah, 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 blah. And I know what it is, and I couldn't understand it. So maybe when we uh, talk about websites where people can log in, we say it a little bit slower so that everybody can understand it. All right. I'll do that. I'll do that, Dieter. Thank you so much for joining us again, as always, here this week on IQ Radio. Pleasure. Uh, All right. Let's move on. Cliff, I know there's a text question I think you wanted to uh, touch on I'm going to try to take a stab at it. Uh, It's what is your thinking about hydroxyls? Uh, I'm not sure whether – I think the question you're asking me is there are certain – uh, devices which use uh, light uh, 
uh, and other types of uh, materials as, as an oxidizing process to eliminate odors that are in the air. And I think you can accomplish the same thing with ventilation. Typically, these types of devices are not going to do anything about a source, such as burnt wood or a material that is emitting it. Uh, it has to be emitted before a device like that can deal with it. Sounds like a good topic for a future show. Uh, okay, I've got two more quick ones. Uh, first, what would you recommend uh, with respect to any resources for listeners on the uh, on the subject here? Well, certainly listening to IQ Radio, we had we've had two interviews with uh, one of my favorite authors on the subject, uh, Jeffrey May. I recommend that they buy his book, um, My House is Killing Me. Yeah, it's excellent. And and my Office is Killing Me, I think, too, absolutely. is the other one. Yep. Excellent. Okay. And I also recommend that they buy and read a book uh, called The Scent of Desire by another one of our guests, uh, Rachel Hurst. It's just really a phenomenal book, and it kind of opened my mind and uh, – kind of answered yep. some Doc, of the burning questions Dr. for me. Dr. Hers did a great job. And anything you'd like to add before we go, Z-Man? No, Joe. Uh, I just appreciate you kind of bearing with it and letting me do the show. I had fun. Uh, and I'm sure uh, it seems like our listeners enjoyed it, too. We got a couple nice comments coming in. We want to thank all of you listeners. Uh, but before we go, I want to make sure I, I thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, for Working hard on putting together this show. Uh, it came out very you. well. Environmental Annie Koalecki at the controls. Uh, another great job this week. Our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Um, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Come back and join us next Friday at noon. We're going to talk about integrated pest management. We're going to have two guests in here from the Pittsburgh Public School District that are really, uh, really uh, doing a great job on developing an integrated pest management program right here in our hometown. So we're looking forward to having you all back here next week for the next edition of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.